0: Hi, it's a joy to get to study God's word with you today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter one, verses 22 to 25. That little section is the sole focus of our message today, which is entitled, A Heartfelt Love. Last week, we looked at how to have a healthy fear of the Lord, and this week, Peter's text is gonna drive us to have a heartfelt love for one another, and so if you will, Let's read it together. Go ahead and stand wherever this message finds you, and let's honor God's word as we're given instruction for how to be filled with love in the midst of a very chaotic and troublesome culture. Peter writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you join me in prayer father As we come to this text, I simply ask that you would do a mighty work in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can come of preaching and nothing can come of our listening if the Holy Spirit doesn't do a mighty work in us and so transform our minds and our hearts. Help us to receive this word with gladness and joy, to live in a way that glorifies Jesus, I want to lift up a dear brother, Pastor John over at Redeeming Grace Church, a new pastor now installed over at that church in Goodyear, and as his family transitions to the valley, I pray that you would embolden him with a passion and a love for the people over on the west side of the valley, and that your glory would be seen, and it would be experienced through their ministry, and that Jesus would be made famous through Pastor John's ministry, And that so many things that you've done here, you would do there, as you are always faithful to do in your church. Teach us today, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, let's talk about love. Love is powerful. I was reading about a story this week about a pastor named John Fawcett, who in 1773 was pastoring a small, poor church in Waynesgate, England, when a large, influential church in England, London... Actually, said, Hey, come be our pastor. Now, Pastor John, much like our Pastor John here, was a gifted preacher. Uh, He was a gifted writer as well. These gifts and talents opened the door for opportunity. And so the big influential church in London came over to the country pastor and said, Hey, come pastor in the big city. Well, uh, the wagons were loaded with the Fawcett family belongings. And the church members came to say goodbye to their beloved Pastor John. And while they were going through their farewells, Mary Fawcett lost it. The pastor's wife began to cry. She told her husband boldly in front of everyone, John, I cannot bear to leave. And it wasn't the big house and it wasn't the beautiful garden she had or it wasn't the the fancy neighborhoods. It was the people that she loved so much. Well, John responded right then and there and said, I can't bear to leave either. We shall remain here with our people. And so there in 1773, the wagons were unloaded and John Fawcett would go on to spend his entire 54-year ministry with the precious people of Waynesgate, England, the church that he had pastored. And that experience would go on to inspire him to write the hymn, Blessed Be the Ties That Bind. Love is powerful. It keeps people together. Uh, Love is also commitment. A writer says, sacrificial love has transforming power. Genuine love is volitional, means by choice, rather than emotional. The person who truly loves does so because of a decision to love. This person has made a commitment to be loving whether or not the loving feeling is present. It is so much the better. But if it isn't, The commitment to love, the will to love, still stands, and it is still exercised. In other words, hey, it's good to feel the love, but even if the feeling isn't there, the love still is. Love is a commitment, but love is also scary. Love means putting yourself out there. It means being vulnerable to people. Many have rightly come to find that loving others means being vulnerable the possibility of somebody hurting you increases, rejecting you increases, seeing you who for, for who you really are increases. And so we often begin to think, will they still love me if they really get to know me? And so soon we find ourselves thinking it's a lot easier to keep people, even sometimes our spouses or our best friends, at arm's length to keep ourselves from being seen for who we really are. But I would even argue this. There might be one layer deeper there inside of us, which is selfishness. We don't wanna love people or want people to get close to us because they're gonna inconvenience us. They're gonna make us uncomfortable. They're gonna ruin the routine. They're gonna cause discomfort. Then we're gonna have to sacrifice for them. We're gonna have to lay ourselves down for them. We're gonna suddenly have less of us. And that infringes on our sinful, selfish nature love is scary but our text is going to teach us very clearly that for the christian love is essential it is a part of our identity as believers and so point number one right there in your notes christian love is activated by salvation it's activated by salvation 1 Peter 1, verse 22, Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I want to zero in with you on that phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Bottom line, if we want to understand Christian love, we've got to see what activates Christian love. Uh, This phrase might look like at first that you're the one purifying your soul, or you're the one saving yourself by obedient works. But based on the grammar here in the original language, here's what it really says or what it could simply mean. Since you obeyed the gospel, and in doing so your soul was purified by God, you can love others. You are activated to love others. Conversion or being saved is described this way in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, in chapter 15, verse 8 of the book of Romans, obedience to the truth or being purified in your soul is just another way of saying, you've been saved. You're a Christian. You're a blood bought saint. And so Peter is assuming the gospel here. Since you have been saved, love one another. You can love because you've been saved. He's rooting whatever imperative he's about to give, an imperative is a command, in the rooted truth of the gospel, the transformative truth of the gospel. The gospel is what purifies our hearts. It's what enables us to love differently than we've ever loved before. When somebody experiences the power of the gospel, they actually experience a redefinition of love. And you can probably relate to that. You've experienced it as well, right? Think of before you were saved, the old way that you defined love. Well, love was an action of perhaps immorality. Uh, Love was perhaps uh, based in material. Love was a superficial emotion. Love was transactional. You loved people who did what you wanted them to do and who looked like you wanted them to look. But once you obey the gospel and your soul is purified, you begin to see other people through the eyes of Christ. It transforms your mind. Transforms your definition, transforms your expression, your experience. You begin to find Christian love is different. That's because, like 1 John 4 19 says, we love because he first loved us. You can't really express or experience the greatest and most fulfilling kind of love unless you first experience God's transforming love. That happens when you believe the gospel. And I find that right here in the beginning of our text, a challenge to you is appropriate. First, to those of you who say you're a Christian, do you love like one? Do you see a transforming pattern, transforming definitions of love in your life? Do you see that? Are the lives of those around you impacted by your love, not in your words, but in your deeds? I think that's a fair challenge based on what Peter has put before us already. When is the last time someone has said to you, thank you for being so loving? Thank you for being the person I can go to. Thank you for being there for me. Well, if you've experienced that, well, guess what? You are living Christian love. Another challenge I would offer is to those of you who say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I find myself watching this. Here's what I would say to you. Are you tired of being used and abused by the definition of love that this world offers? Are you tired of loving and giving and sacrificing, hoping that it will fill you up only to end up empty? Well, then I would challenge you to respond to the gospel, respond to the good news that God's love is better that Jesus is greater. Admit that uh, perhaps you've lived out or believed a wrong definition of love and that you need to put your faith and your trust and your hope in the love of Jesus Christ. It is only his love that can fill you truly in a way that won't ever leave you empty. Jesus' love changes your life. A counselor once took an incredibly counterintuitive strategy and applied it to a woman who was ready to leave her husband. She was over it. And so the wife came into this counselor's office full of hatred towards her husband, and she said, I don't just want to get rid of him. I want to hurt him. I want him to feel pain. Before I go through the divorce... I want to put him through as much hurt as he's put me through. And so the counselor suggested an ingenious plan. He said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way as to be kind, considerate, generous. Spare no effort to please him, to enjoy him. Make him love. Make him believe that you love. And after you've convinced him of all this, and he's certain of your undying love and that you cannot live without him and he himself cannot live without you, drop the bomb. That's when you break his heart. Tell him you're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. And so with revenge in her eyes and excitement, A very sick and sinful excitement over this ingenious plan. She goes home and puts it into action. She acted as if every single day she did it with enthusiasm for two straight months. She showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, affirming, and sharing. But then she didn't ever return to the counselor for those two months. And so the counselor called and he said, I imagine you've built up quite a resume of love. Are you ready to drop the bomb and break his heart and hurt him like he's hurt you? The woman said, never. And the counselor said, so, so are you not going to go through with the divorce? She said, divorce. I'll never leave the man. I found a love for the man. I discovered so much more than I ever imagined. Her actions were what transcended her feelings. Her actions actually changed her feelings. You see, the ability to love and what this counselor knew is that it is established not so much in words or even emotions, but in deeds. If you make a choice to love somebody and you act out that choice, let me tell you, church, it doesn't just change them, it changes you. Jesus took action for you. He died for you. He loved you, and his love changes you. Christian love is activated by salvation. The act of atonement, the act of love by Christ on the cross is what activates love in you. So you can love. There's no excuse. You can't say, I can't love. You can love because he loves you. And now Jesus doesn't just love you to change you. He loves you so you can love others and in turn see them change too which is point number two in your notes, Christian love is others-focused. This text makes it so clear. Christian love is others-focused. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I wanna zero in on that phrase, for a sincere brotherly love. You could say the first part of the verse shows us that Christian love is activated by salvation. And now the second part of this verse tells us the object of Christian love or who we are to be loving. Now, sincere. We're to have a sincere brotherly love. That word sincere means without play acting. You can't fake it. Like loving for real. At the very definition uh fake love is, is hypocrisy, to say I love you to your face, but then gossip behind you or say that I hate you behind your back. Peter calls Christians to exactly the opposite, that our love be genuine. And that love might mean speaking hard truth, but it's always face to face. It's always to the individual, never hypocritical. Now he says brotherly love, which you need to understand is brotherly or also sisterly love, also sisterly love. And this is the phrase Philadelphia. It's where we get the modern definition of the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, they would call it. That phrase is a family term which reminds us that we're talking about having a genuine care for our family in Christ. That's why it's others focused Romans 12, 9 to 10 says, let love be genuine. Some translations, let it be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Paul calling the Romans to the same thing. This is why one of our core values here at the church is we are others focused. We strive to be others focused. Why? Because to be a Christian is to love. Like Jesus, God has sent each of us to the places we live, work, study, play, and worship to be sacrificial workers for the good of those we interact with. So the question really is do you love the church and not the building, not the location, the people? Do you love the church? For all of our differences, in preference, In politics, in personality, in masks or no masks right now, in lockdown or no lockdown, do you love your church family? Is your love based on them doing things or saying things the way you prefer? When something is not a sin issue, do you side with love for the family of God or your own opinion? These are the questions we must ask that I believe the text demands we ask, and the Holy Spirit convicts us to ask when we're looking at loving others. In 1848, one of my favorite human beings to ever live was on earth doing ministry. His name was R.C. Chapman. You probably haven't heard a ton about him because he wanted it that way. See, he was a humble man, a very loving man, He, along with George Mueller and John Nelson Darby and Benjamin Willis Newton, were intertwined in a sort of controversy or pastoral disagreement back in the 1800s. Each of them were leaders in their own local churches, respectively, and so naturally the congregations took sides when some of the disagreements arose. And in one instance, Darby's supporters, they wanted to make R.C. Chapman look really bad. They wanted to soil his reputation and discredit him they were more interested in winning the war than the relationship but darby himself told his own supporters these exact words in reprimand you leave that man alone we talk of the heavenlies but robert chapman lives in them see he knew that rc chapman was a man who walked with the lord He was filled with the love of the Lord. You see, R.C. had a nickname. He wasn't a literal apostle like in the New Testament, but they would call him the apostle of love. You know, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers to ever live, said that R.C. Chapman was the saintliest man he ever knew. Spurgeon said that about him. His reputation for loving others was so widely regarded that a letter came from abroad and it didn't even have his address on it. Here's what it said. It was addressed to R.C. Chapman, University of Love, England. There's no such thing as the University of Love, England. But the letter got delivered directly to R.C. Chapman because even the mail delivery system knew who he was because of how he loved R.C. Chapman used to tell the missionaries who he would invite to stay at his home to leave their boots outside their door so that he could clean them every evening and have them ready, clean and shining in the morning. For God's workers, as their feet would go to spread the good news, those boots would be clean and ready for them to share the gospel message And you might think, well, uh, you know, R.C. Chapman, I get, maybe he was a nobody, right? It's easy. Maybe he's a small town pastor. He's just kind of some guy that was overlooked. And so, yeah, he's easy to play second fiddle and clean people's boots and serve everyone else. I mean, uh, it's fine. Somebody important would have more important things to do. Chapman, that must have been his role in the body of Christ. No. R.C. Chapman rubbed shoulders with world-changing contemporaries and was a world-changing man himself. His friends were the likes of Charles Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, and the prime minister of England himself came for wisdom and counsel from R.C. Chapman. He was a man of great truth and great status, but he was a man of great humility and great love. Church, take inventory of your life. Do you want to find out if you are loving others? Don't trust your own opinion. Think of the last time somebody has come to you and said, I need your wisdom. I I would like you to speak into my life. Think of the last time somebody has come to you and said, "I, I really need you. Do you have a minute? Can I call you today? if there isn't at least some instance in your life where that has or is continuing to happen at even intervals, maybe they're spread out because that's not always your role or the position of life you're in, but if there is not someone, it could even be your children, coming to you with need for love and wisdom, then church, you must ask, am I following the pattern of Christ In loving others? Am I putting myself out there enough? Have I really stepped out to love what Jesus loves? Do I really love the church? See, there's a lot of sideline spectators today. They sit in the stands, they throw junk on the field, they holler at the players, they poke fun at the coaches. They're real good at being armchair spectator Christians. They rarely, if ever, get in the game. I don't want that for you, church. The way to eradicate that pattern in your life and in mine and in the church overall is to fall in love with the church, the people of the church to get in there with them, to dig in the trenches, to pray with and for them, to get over yourself and your own opinions and to say, you know what? I'm gonna be about what Jesus is about. I'm gonna give myself to what Jesus gave his life to. I'm gonna love what Jesus loves. The call for the Christian is to be others focused. That is real Christian love. And thankfully, Peter tells us not just who we are to love, but how we are to love. The third point in this text and from this text is Christian love is unconditionally committed. Unconditionally committed. Where do I get that from? He says in verse 22 there at the end, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly from a pure heart. You cannot miss at least three things from this particular portion of the text. The first is that Peter changes the word for love from Philadelphia to agapeo. What does that mean? Well, maybe you caught it, agape. From the root word agape, meaning unconditional love. So this isn't just a a brotherly, hey, I like you. This is unconditional love, meaning no matter what they do, you've got to agapeo, love one another. And then he says, earnestly. I don't want you to miss that. That's the second thing right there. Maybe circle it in your Bible. If you're one of those Bible circling note takers in the margins, wherever you need to do this, but circle earnestly. Some of your translations are gonna say fervently. This is, Phrase has its roots in a word that means physical strain. Picture a weightlifter throwing plates on the squat rack. That's the kind of love and the way that a Christian is to love. It's going to feel like a burden sometimes. But it's a burden you bear with joy, knowing that it's going to strengthen the body, the body of Christ. We're called to love others in a way that stretches us, pressures us, even strains us at times, which means Christian love is going to tip the scales of your life. It's going to be on your radar. You know, no true friendship, no real marriage. You know the kind of marriage I'm talking about? I'm not talking about being roommates. I'm talking about being best friends where you, when it's all said and done, or even in the midst of the journey, I know not all the marriages in the world that people like each other. I think all of us have had that day where we kind of wake up and go, yeah, I don't know if I really like you today, but I'm going to love you anyway. You know, one of our pastors recently was joking around. He's an older gentleman, a wise gentleman, been married over 50 years, so he could say this. He said, you know, I'm France, She's England and the war still continues. So people have different personalities, right? They're going to be coming to uh, thoughts and ideas and opinions from two different worldviews or personalities even if they have the same worldview. But if you're truly best friends, if you truly love each other, it doesn't matter if you have different personalities or there's conflict sometimes, you know what you're going to be able to say It's worth it. It's worth the cost. It's worth the burden. It's worth the weight. It's worth the conflict. It's worth it even when the sparks fly at times. It's worth it because it's real. It's real love. It's fervent. It's intense. It has weight in your life. You need to understand the rewards of genuine Christian relationship are always worth it. And the third thing that I want you to see here is not just that he's changed the word from Philadelphia to Agapeo, or that the word earnestly or fervently means weight and strain, but I also want you to see that all of this love comes from where? Look at it there at the end a pure heart. A pure heart. Now, this one is going to step on my toes and your toes. It means that you got to love in a way that's not begrudging, it's not forced. You know, like kids, when you discipline them at times, you get them to kind of make up, and you go, you give your brother a hug, you give your sister a hug. And they kind of do one of these, and they bump each other's shoulder and throw the hand over like this. That, that's not what this text is saying you can do. It's got to be the, okay, and you throw the arms around the brother or sister in Christ, and you really love them. I mean, in your heart and in your mind. I like the difference between a hotel concierge, right? We've all had the person that says, yes, it's a pleasure to serve you. They're like that at Chick-fil-A in the drive through My pleasure. It's a pleasure to serve you today, right? Everyone's happy. And then we've all had the hotel concierge or the person on the other side of the drive through that says, okay, sure. What else? Okay, see you at the window. Paul says it over and over In the letter of Romans and in other letters, John says it in first, second, and third. John talking about love. Peter says it here. Jesus said it throughout the gospel. Christian love says it's a joy. It's my pleasure to love you. It's my honor to love you, even if you're difficult to love. I know the sacrifice it's gonna take. I'm still gonna love you. I still really wanna do it. You know, church, if Jesus thought, that the cross was worth it to reconcile us into relationship with God, then how much more can we consider small earthly sacrifices, mostly our preferences and personality differences, worth it to enjoy relationship with one another? There's so much we can get over. Now, I'm not talking about sacrificing doctrine. I'm not talking about sacrificing the gospel and I'm not talking about sacrificing truth. No, sir, no, ma'am. Our convictions are rooted in the scriptures, but oftentimes our preferences are rooted in ourself. We can let those go and love others in a way that is fervent, that is intense, that is genuine. And so we have to ask ourselves, what has Christian love ever cost us? To love in the way that Peter is calling you and I to love here, I would apply this in just a few simple ways. It's this, look at the three T's in your life. Look at your time, look at your talent, and look at your treasure. Time is one of the most precious commodities in life. You're going to keep spending it and investing it. You're never going to get those moments back. Once it's spent, it's gone. Talent, that's your God-given gifts, the abilities God has given you. The question is, how are you using those special abilities to love others? And then treasure, treasure's your money. The Bible talks a lot about money. Jesus talked a lot about money. He says, where your treasure is, your heart is. So heart and treasure, inextricably linked, And that's a little easier to understand, right? That concept. Because you invest it, you get something back. You use it, buy something, you get to enjoy it. The question in relation to Christian love is how are you using your treasure? Are you spending your money, investing your money in ways that will outlast, outlive, and even outrun you for the kingdom of God? Your time, your talent, your treasure. Church, I'd invite you to take an inventory of those three areas of stewardship that God has given you and decide today what action you will take out of a sincere and fervent and earnest love from a pure heart, wanting to do what God has called you, wanting to give back and serve and pour into others because God has given and served and poured in to you. What action do you want to take in loving others earnestly because God has loved you first? First. You know what's so interesting? And what carves away any callousness right now that you're feeling or I'm feeling, any conviction where you go, hey, easy, man, you're pushing in a little hard there. Take her easy, preacher. Here's what helps that all disappear. Peter is the one commanding this to a bunch of people who are going through way worse than you and I will ever go through. He's telling this to a bunch of people that are being persecuted for their faith. If they were rich, it didn't matter anymore. If they had status, it didn't matter anymore. If they had acreage, it didn't matter anymore. If they had a good job, a great life, and great kids, and a great wife, it didn't matter anymore. All bets were off. The whole world was gone crazy, and the emperor was trying to kill all the Christians, and Peter is still kind of like some of the crazy preachers at our church. And throughout the timeline of history, calling the people of God to continue on in their loving, in their giving, in their serving, in their honoring, in their devoting and worshiping and hoping. And so the call still stands for you and I. Don't make excuses today. Don't think of another reason why You're too busy to love others. You're too busy to give your time, talent, and treasure to God's kingdom, to his church, and to others. No, no more excuses, Christian. Give in to God's call. There's no greater reward. And then in verses 22 over onto 23, and then all the way to 25. Peter puts the emphasis back on the one thing you and I must never lose sight of. Look at it with me here. Point number four, Christian love is sustained by the gospel. Christian love is sustained by the gospel. So it's activated by salvation it's others focused, it's unconditionally committed, and then it's sustained by the gospel, meaning you can keep loving, you can keep going. Christian love is gonna keep going. Look what Peter writes in verses 23 to 25. Since you've been born again, not of imperishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, is the good news that was preached to you. Peter is quoting Isaiah 40, verse eight, when Isaiah says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And that word, this word is the good news that was preached to you, that's the rhema word. It's the message that Peter has been preaching. It's not a physical seed that goes in the ground, grows something up, and then that thing dies. It is a spiritual seed that never dies. It is the seed of Christ, his message, the gospel. And the Holy Spirit really wanted the readers of this letter and you and I to keep the gospel in the crosshairs, if you will, of their scope of love. The gospel right there in the front and center. At the start of 22, what the gospel has done in our hearts activates love and here at the end, that the gospel will sustain our love you could summarize this final section with this phrase right here. God's love through you will never fail because God's work in you will never fail because God's word to you will never fail. Church, that is hope for a hurting world. God's word says it, which means you and I can trust it. It's a call to love. The reason that you love is because he first loved you and the reason that you can love is because he's loving through you. Let me pray for you. Father, it is hard to be loving in this world today So many people in the church do things different than we do, and we do different things than they do. We see things differently sometimes. And the call that you've given us today through just these few verses is a call to love one another in the midst of all of that. Not to ignore doctrine, because Peter's readers agree on the gospel. Not to ignore the truth or the unchanging foundation of your word, We see that right there at the end. The word, your word will stand forever. There's no compromising on that. But there are so many things uh, like little foxes in a field that dig up holes that cause us to stumble as we walk through life with one another. And we need you. We need your love to work in us and through us. Please, I pray, do that at Redeemer. Do that in the valley for your glory and the good of your people in Jesus' name, amen.